our venues. We welcome the chapel venue and the video venue this morning. And uh, right now our Milton service is happening as well. We are one church, one message, but many expressions. And just so excited to be able to, uh, to uh, be involved in so many different people's lives in that way. And so we welcome you today. And last Sunday we finished off our series called The Journey. And it was a great message that Pastor Doug shared with us about facing uncertainty in our life and principles that we learned together out of the life of Joseph. Now, we learned out of the life of Christmas Joseph last week. We're going to call him Christmas Joseph. And, uh, and then um, that, was, that was the ending of the Journey series. Next week, we start a new series called Revolution, Rethinking What's Best in Life and Relationships. And we're excited to uh, get that off the ground next Sunday. And I encourage you all to be back for the very first Sunday of the new year. This is the last Sunday of 2014. And I'm so glad that you're here with us in church and uh, that we don't look at this like an ending, but instead a beginning. We have something new and something amazing that's coming in the next year. And I trust that uh, before you leave today, that you're going to believe that with all your heart. And so we, we end a series last Sunday. We start a new series next Sunday. That leaves today. And today we're going to talk to you uh, a little bit just out of our own life journal reflections. And so uh, here in Mississauga, over in Milton, we're sharing from our own personal journey, you know, what God's been speaking to us about. And uh, I got the opportunity to be able to be up today and to talk to all of you. Now, life journaling is something that we've talked about over the last number of years. And um, we are going to actually revisit it again in the early part of the new year and just kind of help everybody kind of get started or restarted because I know what can happen. You know, we get a little bit discouraged. We feel like we miss too many and so we stop and all that kind of stuff. But, but life journaling basically is, is just a, a tool to daily walk with God in His Word and it's a reading plan that we can do together. And every week on the back of your sermon notes, we print uh, the life journal reading plan for that week. And uh, then just before the beginning of the month, we actually do a bookmark for you that gives you the entire month as well. And so uh, we want to just encourage you, be reading God's Word. And uh, it's about four chapters or so a day that you would read so that uh, you can read through the Bible in a year and through the New Testament actually twice. And uh, here's the thing, don't get discouraged. I know some of you, if you're like me, you like to make sure that you get it done every time. And if you get behind a couple of days, it's like, oh, I got to catch up, you know. So you're reading 17 chapters one morning and you're late for work because you're trying to get caught up in your life journal. You don't need to do that, you know. Just, just go back to it. Uh, when, you've, when you've missed for a while, go back to it. And we like you to write down the Scripture, whatever. You know, as you read, something is going to come alive to you. God's going to speak to you through some Scripture. And write that Scripture down. And then make an observation. Here's, here's what it is that God showed me through this today. And then just a couple lines of application. How am I going to live my life differently because of what God has spoken to my heart today? And then we encourage you to write down your prayer. Because when we write things out in longhand, it tends to connect with our heart a little bit. And uh, it's, it's a great way and a great practice to be listening to hear God's voice every single day. And so we want to just encourage you in that. And we've been doing it as a staff for a number of years. And so out of, out of my life journaling, I come back to a reflection on the life of Joseph. Not Christmas Joseph, uh, Old Testament Joseph. And that's who I'm going to talk about to you this morning. I know that we talked about Joseph a month or a month and a half ago in our journey series. And Pastor Josh did a great job on a message about forgiveness. But uh, I'm going to talk about Joseph again today because I can. Because I'm up here and uh, I'm, I, I can talk about whatever I want. So we're going to talk about Joseph today. Is that okay with you? 
It's okay to cover them twice in, in one sort of season. And uh, so Joseph is one of my favorite characters. And we're going to talk about Joseph today. I love Joseph because he was a, a man of character. Actually, he was a, a young person of character, but as he aged... And as he went through all kinds of adversity and all kinds of trial, he stayed true to God and to the character that had been shaped in Joseph's life from a very early age. And if anyone could have been bitter and angry at people and vindictive, it would be Joseph. He had the right. If anyone could shake his fist at God and maybe complain, Joseph could have. But he never did. And that's what I love about him. He was an example of someone who never grew tired of doing good and who didn't get discouraged even in the midst of tremendous trial and undeserved treatment. And that speaks so well of him. But there's one other thing that I notice about Joseph. And before I get to that, I want to, uh, we're going to turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 37. And uh, if you don't have a Bible today, uh, but you would like to borrow one of ours, just slip your hand up nice and high, and uh, one of our ushers will come and help you with that. We do have a few that are looking for Bible today. And so uh, thank you, ushers, for serving us in that way. Just keep your hand up until they come, and they will... Uh, assist you there. The, the, the other thing I love about Joseph is this. Joseph was a dreamer. Joseph was a dreamer. And uh, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. And so if you go to Genesis 37, beginning at verse 5, we'll just give you a second to, to get there. It's also a good time for me to have a drink of water. Genesis 37, beginning at verse 5, and you can follow along with me as I read. It says this, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly uh, my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. And his brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you, will you rule us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. And then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. And when he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem, so come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. And so he said to him, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and um, the flocks, and, and bring word back to me. And so he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. And when Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, What are you looking for? And he replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they're grazing their flocks? He said, they've moved on from here. The man uh, answered, I I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. And so Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance. And before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say say that a ferocious animal devoured him. And then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Nice family, right? How'd you like to be Joseph's uh, brother or or be Joseph and have those brothers? So at the age of 17, God began to give Joseph a dream. He didn't fully understand it at first. In his dream, he had 
you know, we, we read about it, about the, the sheaves of grain and all of his brothers, you know, bowing down. And, and then he had a second dream. And these dreams were not winning Joseph any popularity points in his family. As a matter of fact, in, in the second dream, uh, you know, he, he brings the father and, and mother kind of, sort of come into play as well. Here's, here's the thing that I want to notice just going by. You know, Joseph's brothers already uh, didn't like him very much because the Bible says that, that he was a favorite son. And he uh, had been given this brightly colored uh, coat of many colors uh, by, to, you know, from his father. And the Bible says his dad loved Joseph, and I'm quoting here, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Now, moms, dads, this is not a message about parenting, but let's pick up the obvious tip here on our way by. Don't play favorites with your kids. The results can be devastating. So Joseph's brothers already hated him. The dream, the dream thing didn't help, okay? And then he has this second dream, and this time the sun, moon, and 11 stars bow down to him. And, and again, his popularity ratings are plummeting because this dream even brings a rebuke from, from Jacob, his father. And that's the backdrop of the story of Joseph. As a teenage boy, he, you know, he goes out to the fields because his father wants him to check on the brothers and the, and the flocks. And he eventually catches up to his brothers at a place called Dothan. And, and when his brothers see him coming in the distance, they say, here comes that dreamer. And they were not being complimentary, okay? They were, they were it was disdain in their voice. And they, together, 11 of them, his own flesh and blood, conspire to kill him even before he reaches their little group. But one of them, Reuben, you know, the older brother, I'm the older brother, so I understand the wisdom here. Reuben has this twinge of conscience, and uh, he says, let's, let's just throw him in the cistern. So they, they strip him of his precious, colorful coat. They throw him in the cistern because Reuben is thinking that he'll just come back later and quietly return Joseph to his father. Well, I figure that when the, the slave traders come, when they show up, Reuben obviously is busy somewhere else. He's, he's probably responding to the call of nature, I'm thinking. He's over behind a, you know, a, a cactus somewhere, relieving himself, because the Ishmaelites come along, and while Reuben is out of the picture, the other brothers, you know, Judah has a brainwave. Let's not kill him. We'll just sell him as a slave. You know, he is our brother after all. <laughs> nice. So they, they all agree, and up out of the cistern, Joseph comes, and uh, they exchange their brother for 20 shekels of silver, and off he goes to be a slave. Reuben comes back from, from the loo, and, and, you know, Joseph is now gone, and he's upset. How is he going to face their father now? And so they come up with a plan. They're going to rip the coat, dip it in an animal's blood. They're going to take it to Jacob, and imagination will take care of the rest. So Jacob you know, when he gets the coat, he assumes that Joseph has been killed by some wild animal and torn to pieces, and he tears his own clothes and goes into mourning, a mourning so deep, the Bible says, that he can't be comforted no matter hard, how hard anyone tries. And with the death of the dreamer dies the dream. Or does it? We fast forward to Egypt. Joseph is now a slave in the house of Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's top officials. And and Joseph, remember, is a man of character. He works hard, even though he's a slave. He works hard in Potiphar's house. And God blesses Joseph's efforts. Potiphar gives him more responsibility until Joseph is in charge of the entire household. And the blessing of God now extends beyond Joseph to, to the household itself and to Potiphar's business dealings even. God blesses Potiphar because of Joseph's presence. 
Things are good until Joseph gets noticed by Potiphar's wife. And every day, the Bible says, she tries to seduce him. She tries to get him to, to come to bed with her. And every day, he says no. Every day, he will not give in to temptation. And so it goes on day after day. And, and it's there until one day when no one else is in the house, she catches him by his, the garment, the outer garment that he's wearing, and says, come to bed with me. And she tries to hold him there, but he, but he runs away, leaving, leaving his cloak behind him. And so Potiphar comes in, and she's holding the cloak, and she makes up a story and says that Joseph came in to rape her, but when she screamed for help, he ran, leaving his cloak in her hand. Awful, awful woman. What could Potiphar do in this, in this position? This is his wife. He believes his wife, and so it makes him angry. He orders Joseph thrown in prison, and, and now he's in the king's prison. What about his dream now? His brothers hate him. His father thinks he's dead. He's been sold into slavery, and now he is in jail for a crime he didn't commit. And it seems like hope is gone. All hope is lost that the dreamer will ever see the fulfillment of his dream. But in the last, verse of, the last part of verse 20, the first part of verse 21, in chapter 39, this phrase appears, but while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. While Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. Even in prison, Joseph is blessed by God. God gives him favor with the warden. He gives him wisdom. And, and the warden eventually puts Joseph in charge of all of the prisoners. And then, and then we sort of go forward a little bit further in the story, and he meets a couple of friends in prison, a cupbearer and a baker. And his friends have had these weird dreams, and they don't understand what they mean. And so Joseph explains it to them. And uh, what Joseph tells them comes true. You'll have to go back and read the story. And, and uh, the, the cupbearer was hoping it would come true. The baker, not so much. Because the cupbearer, you know, he, uh, his dream came true, and he was eventually released from prison. The baker's dream came true, and, and he was hanged. And so Joseph says to the cupbearer when, when he's being released, he says, don't forget me. Don't forget about me here. Talk, talk to Pharaoh about me. But the cupbearer forgot. And so a year goes by, and then two years go by, and then Pharaoh starts having dreams. There's a lot of dreams in this story. Pharaoh starts having dreams. And the cupbearer, you know, nobody can explain Pharaoh's dreams until one, you know, the cupbearer, the light goes on. He says, you know what, I had this friend in, in prison. His name was Joseph, and, and I had a dream, and, and so did a friend of mine. And Joseph interpreted the dreams, and they were, you know, they came true. Would you like me to get him for you? And Pharaoh says, go get him. And so they send for Joseph, and they give him a shave and, and a change of clothes, and they stand him before the Pharaoh. And the Pharaoh says, my cupbearer here says you can interpret dreams. Is that true? Joseph says, well, you know, I can't, but God will give you the answer you're looking for. And so Pharaoh starts, first dream. Seven fat cows come up out of the river to graze, and then seven scrawny, ugly cows. They're, and Pharaoh says they're like the ugliest, skinniest cows in all of Egypt. And these ugly cows, they eat the fat cows, and they still just look all scrawny and ugly. What do you think that means, Joseph? And before Joseph can answer, he jumps into the second dream. He says, I also dreamt that there were seven heads of grain, full and good. I suppose you could say they were, you know, fat heads of grain, growing up on a single stalk. And there's this slight pattern emerging here. And then afterwards, seven other heads of grain sprouted, and they were, they were thin and scorched and tiny. Or maybe you could say they were scrawny and ugly. And the thin heads of grain swallowed up the good heads. What does this mean, Joseph? 
Joseph takes a deep breath and I think prays a quiet prayer. And he says, okay, Pharaoh, this is easy. It's the same dream. The fat cows and the healthy grain, they're symbolic of seven years of plenty. And that's what's going to happen, great abundance in Egypt. And the seven cows and the seven, uh, the seven thin cows and the seven thin heads of grain are seven years of famine. And that's what's coming to Egypt. Oh, and one more thing. The reason God gave you the dream twice is because he's not kidding. This matter has been firmly decided, Joseph said, and God is going to do this soon. Now, Joseph could have stopped there. After all, he had answered Pharaoh's question. But dreamers seldom just answer the question at hand. This is what I love about dreamers. Dreamers seldom just answer the question at hand. Dreamers are solution-oriented. And so Joseph offers his two cents worth. He says to Pharaoh, imagine, the king of Egypt, Joseph is a, is a prisoner from the, from the prison. He says, Pharaoh, if you're smart, you'll find a discerning man, a good leader, and you'll put him in charge of Egypt and then appoint commissioners to take one-fifth of all the harvest of Egypt during these seven abundant years and store the grain. Then during the seven lean years, when the famine comes, there will be enough grain for Egypt to survive. And in what can only be called a miraculous whirlwind promotion, Joseph in that moment, is given the ring and he is put in charge of Pharaoh's palace and all of the country of Egypt now will submit to his orders. He's second only to Pharaoh himself. It's an amazing story. An amazing story. Now, one more time. Bear with me just for a couple more minutes and then I'll get to what I really want to say. One more time, we fast forward and Joseph, now the ex-convict slave, who is the manager of all of Egypt during these seven abundant years when the famine hits. And Egypt is in great shape. But surrounding countries, not so much. And so all of the surrounding countries now have to come to Egypt to get their food. And here's where, you know, re-enter Jacob to the story, Joseph's father who thinks he's dead. And also now re-enter Joseph's brothers who have kind of forgotten about Joseph. You know, they sold him off to slavery, haven't, hasn't been seen since. And Jacob sends the brothers to Egypt to buy grain. And, and they get to Egypt and they come before Joseph, who is the governor of all of the land, and guess what? They bow down to Joseph with their faces to the ground, just like his dream said. Isn't that cool? I mean, after all these years, it comes full circle, and Joseph's first dream is coming true. Eventually, as you read through the story, and you'll have to go and, and read it again for yourself, but eventually Joseph, uh, Joseph's father, Jacob, and Benjamin also come to Egypt as well. And both dreams are fulfilled. It's an amazing story. We can learn all kinds of things from this today. But I want to just focus in on, on a few thoughts. You see, I've always believed that it is important in life to have a dream to have something that you are working towards, to have a, a preferred vision of the future. Scripture says that without vision, people perish or people cast off restraint. It's like, it's like they, they sort of just lose all sense of stability and they lose their way. We have tried to encourage you know, our own children to dream big for their lives and to trust God to do what He thinks is best. And we've tried to live by that same principle in our own lives because hope is a powerful motivator. Hope is a powerful motivator. And without hope, we have nothing. We have nothing. I want to illustrate this for you just for a moment this morning. 
if you will bear with me for one second. Without hope, we have nothing. Folks, I have a dream. I have a dream. I, I'm a Toronto Maple Leafs fan. I have been since I was just a very little boy. I've always been a Toronto Maple Leafs fan. And one of the necessary attributes of being a Toronto Maple Leafs fan is that you've got to be a dreamer. Are you with me? You've got to hold on to hope. The Leafs have not won a Stanley Cup since 1967. I was two years old. I remember it well. But if you're a part of Leaf Nation like I am, we have a dream. A dream that one day they will hoist that Holy Grail again and we will line the signs, sides of Young Street while the faithful blue and white parade on their way by. But we need to have hope. We need to have a dream. And so I think about Joseph's life, and I think about many of the parallels that we can find in some of the circumstances of many of our own lives. You know, standing at the edge of 2014, looking, looking back at the end of this year, many of you would have to say that perhaps many of your dreams have not yet been fulfilled. It might be about a career change or a job promotion or, or that you've been praying about something, believing God for something. Maybe it's got to do with a new relationship or an old one that needs to be repaired. Perhaps there's something financial that you need to happen, and you're believing in God for a miracle there, or something that God has put in your heart that only you know about. And now at the end of another year, it still has not happened, and you're wondering, I wonder if it ever will. There are all kinds of ups and downs and trials and challenges that we go through in our lives. Adversity inadvertently comes and it can be difficult for us to keep the dream alive. But as we stand at the end of 2014, and we look over the precipice this week into a brand new year, there are all kinds of hopes and all kinds of dreams, that I believe, that we, that we harbor deep within our hearts. And maybe hope is waning for you today. Or maybe your dream has died because you've carried it too long. And what you hoped what God has put in your heart hasn't happened. And based on everything that you can see right now, there isn't any possible way in your mind that it could. So how do we keep the dream alive? How do we, how do we keep hope alive? How do, we, how do we keep going when our dreams have not been fulfilled? Well, how did Joseph do it? Before we go today, I want to just look at three quick things that Joseph did that helped him so that we can know what it is that we need to do as well. First of all, we need to focus on God and not the dream. Focus on God, not the dream. I look at Joseph's story, I see him dream two dreams, and I, I never hear them mentioned in the account again. Did, did you know that? Joseph never brings it up. It's not something that the writer writes about. We don't know really anything more about them until they are fulfilled way down the road in Egypt. And we need... We need to do the same thing. We need to keep this bigger picture in mind. There seems to be one driving force in Joseph's life that impacted everything else that he went through, a constant and determined faith in his God. He never faltered in that. I'm sure he had moments of wondering, of being confused of what was happening to him, moments when he wondered if the dream would ever come true, but he kept 
on trusting in God. And if we can learn to continually keep our eyes focused on God, then we will find God. We will see God in every part of our lives. We'll see him in the good and in the bad and in the ugly. We can even find God in our adversity if we are focused on him. I love that in Joseph's story, whether things are going right or things are falling apart, the narrative still picks up on this thought and reminds us of God's presence and God's activity in Joseph's life. In chapter 39 and verse 2, it says, The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered as he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. In chapter 39, verse 20 and 21, we referenced it together. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him and showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Being in prison was not part of Joseph's dream. Even even running the prison, you know, being over the prisoners. That wasn't part of Joseph's dream. But Joseph was faithful, and when it was all said and done in Joseph's life, and when Joseph was revealing himself to his brothers, instead of being harsh and being unforgiving, he said to them, it was not you who sent me here, it was God. And later in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, he said these words, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Folks, God has a much bigger picture than you or I could ever imagine. And somehow, in the adversity of our personal lives, and the adversity that comes as we build Christ's church, we've got to find God there. We have to see the bigger picture to find out what it is that God is trying to accomplish. Rick Warren says in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, that God never wastes a hurt. He never wastes a hurt. And it's true. The adversity and the pain that comes into our lives, although it doesn't always come from God, he uses it to shape us and to teach us and to accomplish a greater work in us that we often don't even know about. But we will miss it if we focus on anything except for God himself. We need to learn to focus on God and not the dream. My second thought is is a good one, and I'm excited about it because I've I've coined a new term, and I want you to kind of learn this term and see if you agree with me or not. But, but we need to focus on God and not the dream. And secondly, we need to forget about the dream suckers. Forget about the dream suckers. Come on. Everybody who has a dream knows what a dream sucker is. Those negative people that come into your life and all they want to do is step all over your dream and, and be negative and, and do all of those kinds of things. Joseph was despised by his brothers because he was a dreamer. And if you're a dreamer, you're going to be despised by somebody too. I bring up the example of the Leafs again. Come on, all you Montreal Canadiens and Senators fans, you know what I'm talking about. If you have a dream, somebody will despise you. Of course, we do it all in good Christian love and all that stuff, but yeah, you understand. And so, seriously though, everything good, everything good that God wants to do in your life, someone else is going to have a negative opinion about. Maybe a bunch of someone else's. I don't know. So be careful who you share your dreams with because everybody has an opinion. And you know, you know what they say about opinions, right? Opinions are like armpits. Everyone has them, and a lot of them stink. 
So just remember, just remember, you need to forget about the dream suckers. And when the dream suckers come for you, understand that they are dissing your dream for only one of two reasons. Either, number one, they are jealous of you because of their own miserable, negative existence that only thrives on the misery and discomfort of others. Or two, they just don't understand your dreams. Joseph's brothers were nothing more than insanely jealous and annoyed that Joseph got all of the attention from Jacob. They were just jealous of him. But Jacob was different. He just didn't understand the dreams that, Je- that Joseph was having. As a matter of fact, you know, when, when uh, Joseph told Jacob about the second dream, even after he rebuked him, it says, it says that he kept the matter in mind. It was something that sort of stuck in Jacob's mind because he didn't fully understand it. But he, I think he wanted to believe that, that God was in it. And so we need, to, we need to learn this. It could just be that the people who are trying to diss your dreams are just not that spiritual. If your dream is from God, then those who have God's spirit should understand your dream and they should encourage you with wise advice, not stomp on your dream. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 14 talks about this. It says the person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. And so I I urge you, if you're going to share your dream with somebody, do it with your closest confidant who is also Spirit-filled and who is a believer in Jesus Christ and who will encourage you and who will cheer you on. Don't share your dream with a wider audience because everybody's got an opinion and somebody will try and be negative about it, okay? So, so watch out. Watch out for the dream suckers. Uh, Hebrew, Hebrews 12 and 15 actually uh, makes my point for me. It says, watch out that no bitter root of unbelief rises up among you, for whenever it springs up, many are corrupted by its poison. It only takes one person to be negative about your dream and to tell somebody else, and then pretty soon, there's a petition. You know, they've got a following now. Watch out for that bitter root of unbelief because many are corrupted by its poison. So if you're excited about what God's doing in your life, if you're excited about what he's doing in your heart and in our church, and you've got dreams about what he's going to do in the future, watch out for the dream suckers. Focus on God and not the dream. Forget the dream suckers. And lastly, and you need to, you need to hear this, fight the urge to quit. Fight the urge to quit. Fight the urge when things aren't going the way that you plan to just throw it all away. You know, like when the Leafs don't make the playoffs for four seasons in a row. You've got to fight the urge to quit, people. Are we playing tonight? I think we are. Sorry, where was I? Fight the urge to quit. This is nothing more than the enemy's distraction, and he would love nothing more than to distract you, to to discourage you to the point where giving up on God and throwing in the towel looks attractive. Boy, Joseph had a moment, didn't he? Potiphar's wife, this beautiful woman, she's seducing him day after day to come to bed with her. He's a young, you know, single guy, and, and he's sold into slavery by his brothers. He's serving in this Egyptian commander's home. He's not being paid for it. He's a slave. I mean, what would you have done? Don't answer that. He could, he could have just thrown up his hands and went for it. After all, the dream isn't going to happen now. My brothers, uh, you know, they, they hate me. My, my father thinks I'm dead. What's the use? I might as well just give up. I might as well just give in. Know this today. Know this today. When God gives you a dream 
and adversity begins to come, the enemy will always counter with an opportunity for you to give up and to do something you know you shouldn't. You think God is wanting something for your life and it's not happening the way you think it should or as fast as you think it should, and suddenly the temptation is right there in front of you. And, and you can do a number of things. You can blame God. You can, you can blame the church, uh, withdraw from other Christians. You can hurt your family because God isn't coming through for me. And we, we think that way. We think, you know what? It's not happening for me, so I might as well just give up. And that is sin just as serious as Joseph was being faced with because we need to fight the temptation with all of our might, with all of our strength, because just as sure as God has given you a dream, the opportunity, the temptation to give up will come. And when we feel like giving up is when we are the most susceptible to sin. It's when we're the most susceptible to go off the rails and do something we absolutely know we shouldn't because we're feeling sorry for ourselves and because we've been through so much and we think we deserve, you know, to just have a little bit of fun. We need to fight the urge to give up. I think about Peter. Peter who, after Jesus' arrest, was there in the garden and, you know, Jesus had said, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter said, no, never. I, Lord, I won't do that. I'll never do that. The dream, was, the dream was done now. Jesus has been arrested. The disciples have all scattered in different directions. Peter's all alone. And someone comes to him and says, you were with him. And he says, no, I wasn't. Because Peter had given up. He was throwing in the towel. He, he three times denied the Lord. And that's the kind of thing that we need to guard against. Galatians chapter 6 and 9 says this, don't get tired. Don't get tired of doing what is good. For, don't get discouraged and give up, for we will reap a harvest of blessing at the appropriate time. God's timing is not your timing. God's timing is not my timing. And if we don't get discouraged, if we don't give up, God says, I'm going to come through for you. I'm going to come through for you. I love Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 28 as we think about just kind of wrapping these thoughts up this morning. Isaiah 40, 28 says, Do you not know? Have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God? He is the creator of the ends of the earth, and he will not grow tired or weary. And his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. And even youth grow tired and weary. And young men stumble and fall, but those whose hope is in the Lord will renew their strength, and they will soar on wings like eagles, and they will run and not grow weary, and they will walk, and they will not faint. Those are words of encouragement for you today. If you're thinking that, that God is somewhere else or that, that your dreams are never going to happen, God is doing some great things in our church. We just had the best Christmas season I think that we have ever had. We had over 3,100 people here on Christmas Eve for our four Christmas Eve services. An amazing, amazing response. And that doesn't even include uh, the people that came out to Milton. And we're dreaming big these days, and it's exciting to be a part of it. We've got lots of things in, in the future that we want to see happen, and it's not always easy. But we need to stay focused and find God in our challenges and find God in our adversity and fight those who would, who would want to suck the dream away and fight the urge to quit when things get hard. But what about you? What about you? What kind of dreams has God put in your heart that seem to be dying on the vine? I know people, and people have dreams, whether they've shared, with, shared them with anyone or not. And I'm not talking about, you know, the Just Imagine Lotto 649 dream, okay? I'm not talking about that. 
I'm talking about dreams of doing things for God and, and about fulfilling our purpose in God's kingdom. And, and from unfulfilled dreams can come bitterness and resentment and disappointment and frustration, all things that are not very helpful to us in our spiritual lives. And you might be here this morning and your dreams seem far away. You've lost your focus and been hurt. You've been discouraged. And I want, I want you to keep your dreams alive this morning. Find God somewhere in the midst of your adversity. Try and see the bigger picture of what God is trying to accomplish in your life this morning. I think God wants to do a work in all of our hearts today and to give us a hope transplant. Isaiah says the key of this is waiting on God. If we hope in the Lord, if we wait on the Lord, our strength will be renewed. And Joseph knew that too. We need to focus on God and not the dream because whatever our dreams are today, we need first to line them up with God's will for our lives And then we need to wait on him. We need to wait on him. We need to trust him. We need to have faith and believe that he will accomplish those things because God sees the bigger picture. And those whose hope in the Lord, those whose hope is in the Lord, will renew their strength. Amen? Amen. Will you you pray with me today? Father, we thank you for your word today. Thank you for this story that gives us just incredible hope this morning. And Father, I pray, I pray for every person in this room, everyone who can hear the sound of my voice right now. I pray, God, that that for those whose dreams have maybe died, God, maybe there's something that was in their heart many years ago, and they've all but given up because it's not happened, and life goes on, and, and other things occur, but Lord, there's still that seed of something in their heart. Maybe it's, it's someone that you talked to about being involved in, in ministry somehow or someone that you gave an idea for, for a business where they, could, where they could make a living but also bless so many others and help God's kingdom in that way. God, whatever the dream is, Lord, maybe it's a, it's a, it's a career change or opportunity where, where, God, they can have influence and, and speak your name to those who they work with. Uh, whatever the godly dreams are that you have given us today, I pray that you would stir hope in our hearts this morning. That, God, you would help us to take our focus off of, of the things we want to accomplish and get our focus back on you so that you can accomplish the things that you want to do through us. That, God, you will help us in these moments. Lord, to focus on you. Lord, to, to fight the negativity that is all around us, those who would suck those dreams away from us. And, God, to, to, to really really understand that we can fight the urge to give up today if we will only put our hope and we only put our trust in you. If we will wait on the Lord, God, our strength can be renewed. And so as we look ahead to a brand new year, Lord, I pray that you will, God, rebirth our dreams today. That, Lord, you will help us to re-envision those things that you have put in our hearts. God, if we will only learn to trust you God, to find you in all of the things that seem to come our way. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Will you stand with me? We're going to seal this moment in a time of worship together. Let's just focus on how great God is if we seek him together.